Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood abide in me and I in them. What strange words uh, that we've heard today and last week from Jesus in John 6. And along those lines, I think it is um, really important for us from time to time, when we have the time, and I think this Sunday night is one of those times, for us to not so much look at the scripture, but to look at theology. And these are always fun for me, um, and I always light up in these kinds of sermons, and I think staff kind of lights up because they don't know what I'm gonna say when I'm off script. <laughs> and y'all have known me long enough to know I like a script, I like to know what I'm gonna say, I like to know where the train's headed. I do know where the train's headed tonight, so we won't hold you long. But I would like to talk um, from an angle tonight about the word salvation um, and what theologians call soteriology, um, the study of salvation, the study of that which relates usually to the cross. Salvation is defined by some um, as and they wouldn't say it this way, but once they're finished talking, you kind of get the sense that what they're describing is eternal fire insurance. Eternal fire insurance, that Jesus comes to earth, dies on the cross, a death that we deserve to die, so that we wouldn't have to die it, and then that saves us from hell. I know that's an oversimplification and probably does not do justice to those who believe in such a way, but for the purposes of this sermon, we'll call that kind of articulation um, eternal fire insurance. Along that spectrum um, tends to be those who have the idea that in many ways to keep eternal fire insurance, I have to cultivate as an individual this relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's very important that I believe in Jesus Christ so that I can be saved from eternal fire in hell. You don't have to nod your head if you're one of those people. That is okay, we accept you. Um, that is fine. What I said this morning is what I'll say this evening. Those metaphors are actually okay to some extent. They are okay as long as they're not the only metaphor. As long as they're not the only metaphor. And it is important for us to remember that they are just that. They are metaphors not the real truth, if you will, itself. So I'm setting that up for us to dive in very closely into what Jesus says at the very beginning of the gospel. He says, those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me and I in them. 
The word flesh that is used here by the narrator in John is the Greek word sarx. Sarx. And the Greek word sarx is not just concerned with human skin or flesh. The Greek word sarx is an expansive definition of the word flesh. The Greek word sarx basically means all flesh, all flesh. And there's a Catholic theologian, Dr. Elizabeth Johnson. I always say the best Catholic theologians are always nuns. And Dr. Elizabeth Johnson is a nun, and she's an, a brilliant theologian. And concerning the Greek word sarx, she says that God is concerned not only with the salvation and well-being of human beings, God is concerned with the furred, feathered, and Thinned. The furred, your pets, your animals. The feathered, which might be some of your pets as well. And the finned, fish, whales, dolphins, and by extension, coral reefs. God's passion, if you will, for making us whole for saving us, if you will, rescuing us, does not end with human beings. God's concern is with all flesh. I was at lunch today with a bunch of families from St. John's, and one of the teenagers said, Broderick, you said the word flesh 17 times in your sermon this morning. <laughs> That's true, I didn't even, I didn't keep count. Um, but that's, that's actually very humbling for a preacher to hear that. Um, you know, because I, I obviously had a word I was harping on this morning and a word I'm harping on this evening, which is flesh. You've probably heard it already 17 times. You'll hear it 17 times more this evening. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood Abide in me and I in them. When Jesus says this, he is expanding our imagination about God's intimate involvement in creation. John 6 is often used by preachers, the way I used it last week, to talk about Holy Communion or Holy Eucharist. There's one scholar who says, that's obvious, that's, that's an obvious interpretation, and we don't come to church for obvious interpretations. We come to church to pray and to be challenged and to think in a way we didn't think before. And so when we look at this word, when we look at what Jesus is saying here in John 6, it's important for us to know that Jesus is actually using a metaphor for his death. He says, I am the living bread which comes down from heaven for the life of the world. The bread that I give is my flesh. Is my flesh. 
that Greek word there for flesh is the same word used in John 1, which scholars call the prologue, prologue of John. And we hear it every Christmas Eve. And the word became flesh and lived among us. If you grew up on the King James Version, it says, and dwelt among us. And the word became flesh. It does not say, and y'all know I'm not a fundamentalist. I'm not one of these people that takes the Bible literally, but it's fun sometimes to take the Bible literally. So the Bible does not say that Jesus became human. It says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Flesh, the stuff of which we are all made and all creation is made. And when we talk about the incarnation, the word becoming flesh, we often limit it, and sometimes Christianity can be at its most impoverished when we limit it to human beings. The word did not become human alone. The word became flesh and lived among us. And we beheld him as a father's only son, full of grace and truth. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me and I in them. Broderick, where are you going with this? A, that's a fair question. The plane is landing, and I hope it lands here. We have walked outside of our homes or looked through the window, and we've seen smoke, smoke, smoke for weeks. Walking to church, we see smoke too. It's a different kind of smoke. And the smoke we've seen in this state has drifted to us from California. It's that, what, a, what a great metaphor for the interconnectedness of this planet. Our hearts are heavy as we pray for Haiti and for Afghanistan. And I hope this awakening to the fact that we, the flesh that we share as human beings is the flesh that the whole creation shares and by extension is the flesh that God shares by virtue of the incarnation. And if we are to take on that posture of awakening and being conscious to the fact that we are all connected, that makes us more curious people because when we are met by a creature or a living being, we don't seek, seek to conquer it. We seek to be curious about it. And how much different our history would have been had people come to this continent and been curious instead of conquered? What an interesting question. This posture makes us 
more curious, hopefully, and more compassionate. Because we look at Haiti, we look at Afghanistan, we look at the deterioration of our coral reefs, we look at these wildfires that are devastating to communities and ecosystems. We look at them, we gaze at them, we behold them, and we see their flesh is our flesh. The flesh of the coral reef and the hermit crab is my flesh. And in Christ, that flesh is God's flesh too. When we discuss the incarnation in church, we often say, and I often say, that God's suffering when Jesus and the Word become human is our suffering. And I think this reading of John today and this reading of the word flesh expands our imagination to say that our planet's suffering is God's suffering. God suffers with us on the cross. God, I always say, Jesus, when he stubs his toe in the middle of the night, getting ready to get some water and cusses, that is God suffering with us in Christ in an incarnate way. And when our reefs are deteriorating, when our forests are on fire, when we're enduring a pandemic that probably jumped species, we're having this awakening my goodness, aren't we connected? What I do is not isolated. None of us are isolated in ways that we would like to think we are. And that's just a meditation for us to chew on, to think about, to pray about, that, that we're connected in ways that are unseen, unnoticed, that aren't even yet discovered. And it humbles us. Again, it makes us more curious people, more compassionate people. And as that piece of flesh, that body of Christ lands in your hand, as I said last week, I will say this week, when the word amen or yes comes from your mouth, when you intone that beautiful word, that Hebrew word, amen, you and I are saying yes to God, obviously. Yes to those we love around us. And today, in a special and new way, yes to the whole creation. Because as it says in the book of Wisdom, chapter 11, God has not created anything that God hates. God has not created anything that God hates. And we are saying yes to all that God has created, all that God is creating, and yes to the responsibility 
of stewarding it with great wisdom and with great love. Amen.